Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line prop or parlay bets with the king of sports books today sign up using code buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet bet mgm and GameSense remind you to play responsibly 21 plus and present in ohio subject to eligibility requirements rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days gambling problem call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with mgm northfield park The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. This is Make It Kind. M.I.P. With Massimella Mark Thompson. Get woke. Ladies and gentlemen, good morning and well, whatever time of day it is. Hope you're having a great day. Our guest is no stranger, but we were just chatting as we were catching up on one another's families and how everyone is coping with COVID, which is really what her article is about today. Uh, she's no stranger, but we haven't talked in a while. She hasn't been with us in a while. So we're happy to have her back here with us. She is the founder and chair emeritus of the Organization for Black Struggle in St. Louis. She's an organizer, trainer, and speaker. The author of, and we've talked about her book before when she's been here, the author of The Best of the Way I See It, A Chronicle of Struggle. Uh, you may find her at jamalarogers.com, but of course she's an editorial board member and columnist for blackcommentator.com. And we're going to talk about her latest with Black Commentator today, Responding to COVID Fatigue. It's time to make demands on everyone some more than others. Jamala Rogers joins us from St. Louis today on Make It Plain. Jamala, good to see you again. Thank you for having me, Mark. It it is great to have you and glad that you all are safe and healthy and your whole family is as well. Um, What I didn't ask you, I'm curious. I I confess I haven't been following either St. Louis or Missouri's COVID numbers. Have things been pretty bad there too? Yeah, they're pretty bad. They're off the chart. Um, I mean, part of the Midwest, they have joined that and it's, you know, the spikes went up and we had unprecedented uh, numbers of cases per per day. Uh, and partly it's because we have a Republican governor. Uh, and so he was in lockstep with Trump about not uh, imposing a mandatory, even mask uh, guidelines. And so 
and so this is basically a red state. So people have followed his lead uh, in, in rural Missouri and sometimes even uh, parts of the uh, urban areas. But yeah, so it's it's a big hot spot here. Yeah, I'm sorry to hear that. What, Jamali, at what point, though, do we not just call it what is? I mean, I think we all are too polite. If you are not protecting people and not following protocols as a governor or as a president, doesn't that just mean you want people to die? I mean, is there any other? <laughs> you want people? No, I think you're absolutely right. And in some of my previous articles, I have actually called out the president and anybody who follows those those uh, steps as co-conspirators to murder. I mean, if you look at the uh, the legal definition of conspiracy for murder, they fall right within it. And so this is the thing that's so troubling that you, you got somebody at the, in the highest office for until the vaccine came out, we virtually heard nothing from him. And when we heard it, it was, you know, this is a hoax, this, you know, it'll be okay around the corner. Um, and, and we have all of these cascading issues that could have been put in check long before now, and now it's out of control. And that's why this COVID fatigue. I maintain that if we understood the pandemic and what a pandemic does is all the facets of it, then those folks would have shut us down maybe even for 30 days, Mark, and we would have been moaning and complaining. But during that 30 days, we would have been given the proper education about how do you respond to a pandemic? Part of the problem now is because that wasn't done, people have come up with their own ideas about the pandemic and most of them are, 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 are erroneous. And so you now have this misinformation campaign going on. And so it just seems to me the places where that happened, where there was a, a shutdown, there was testing, uh, there was education that they fared far better uh, than us. So, cause we did none of that. We did no tracing, no, none of that. Um, and we, more than that, we didn't prepare for uh, the financial, psychological, and uh, and social implications of the the pandemic on society. And so, what I say in the article is because there was still, after almost a year, no coordinated national campaign. That means it's been left up to governors, to mayors, to whoever, and they are not properly orientated to a pandemic like this. And so what you have is different degrees. They, they've been, uh, at least in Kansas City and St. Louis, they've been under pressure to open up because of the businesses and small businesses are crying. Well, yeah, that that's going to happen. This is not a popularity contest. you got to say, here's why we're doing this. And here's how many lives it's going to save. And here's what's going to happen when we are able to come back out in your business. But to keep saying Oh, we're going to open up a business because, you know, we need small businesses. Well, hell, we need everybody that's died. But, you know, folks didn't didn't pay attention to that. So uh, so I just you know, I just get frustrated, angry every time I hear some more about what what COVID is doing and the fact that there's not a a uh, cohesion uh, response to it that makes sense. And so now people are basically left to fend for themselves. That's why I was really happy to hear about what was going on in, um, in uh, I think it was Alabama that I used in the article. So when p the pandemic first came out, it was black folks that were at the high numbers. 
but probably like we did here, folks in that community say, hey, 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 we are we are dying at an unprecedented rate. Let's let's do something. And they did a concentrated thing. And now the numbers have flipped. So the most of the COVID cases are white folks. Now, we don't want anybody to be a statistic. But the fact of the matter is most of the folks in the South white have bought into Trump and his whole narrative about it. And so they're not wearing masks. So we politicize the pandemic in ways that have become deadly and will have deadly consequences for weeks, months, years to come. So we have to take this thing by the horn and, and plan for our community. And that's what I'm saying with, you know, we need to start making demands on some people more than others. There's a stimulus package that's being held up, you know, uh, what's going to happen when they lift up these uh, moratoriums on, on the rent and all of this stuff, it's going to be devastating to our communities. Yeah. 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 Um, so Jamala, and, and there's a lot to, to get into there, but let's start this way. Since you, you talk, the, the headline is COVID fatigue. Uh, I want to be sure that we have an understanding of your definition of COVID fatigue, because that can that can be interpreted in several different ways. But I, I want I would like you to take that on. What? How would you describe COVID fatigue? So I'm describing COVID fatigue as the the layperson's response to all of the information, misinformation, all of the conflicted information. I mean, it's been relentless. I mean, if you turn on the news, the radio, you're going to hear about COVID. But also in terms of people's own personal lives, what it has meant, you know, there's been a lot of inconvenience, you know, the wearing a mask, the buying a mask, uh, uh, people being at home. Um, it, I jokingly say, you know, there's a reason why we don't sign up for homeschooling. So even the educational piece has, has been a fatigue for a lot of parents. Uh, and, and it's not just for, uh, you know, poor working class parents. I'm hearing fatigue from uh, empowered, educated parents who, for them, this is like brand new and having to be with your kid at a computer and making sure they're doing their homework and all of that. that that's extra burden on people who are trying to also work from home. So, it, you know, that's what I'm saying is the fatigue part. We want it to be over already. But we don't see the kind of leadership that's going to make it over already. <laughs> and so the fatigue is you're just tired of being tired. You, it, it, and some of us like me and you know that this is the way it is. Let's let's adapt. Let's see what we can do to make it better. But that doesn't mean that we are not frustrated or tired from the way COVID has been handled in this country. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And, and just generally, you know, being cooped up in the house. Feel like you're losing your mind. Yep, uh, all of that. Children. All of that. I'm here so from some psychological burden as well as financial, as well right. as uh, you know, right? Yeah, hey, you talking about children? I'm even hearing from folk who feel the same way about their spouses. They call me and say, "Brother, we're not gonna make it. We've never been locked up in the house <laughs> like this this long." Because <laughs> you the way we live as a society. You know, and Jamal was talking about her her mother, who's ninety. God bless her. See that generation, I and the beginning of mine. I remember when I was a little boy. Family came home to dinner every night, sat down at the same table, talked, had a meal together. 
people don't do that anymore. Everybody's transient. People coming in and out of the house at different times, going to work at different times. Whatever. So people aren't used to being in the same space, even in some spouse relationships, because you can have two people married and they just moving. I had folk yeah. call me in April. The pandemic started in March. Folk call me in April. Brother, we need you to pray for us. I said, well, we're not going to make it. I said, ain't been. It's just been a month. He said, but we never been home. We never been around each other this much. So, uh-huh. so, so, that's <laughs> And, and I confess, now I'm going to ask you, Jamal, I'm going to ask you if this happens to you. It may not. And it's a blessing if it doesn't. There's something about being in this situation. Some days, and I know I don't have dementia yet. Okay. But some days I'm kind of foggy, you know, and, and, and I've talked to a few people and they say, yeah, when you're home like that, again, that happens. And it makes you think. That well, wait a minute, is this it? Am I do I have it? Do I am I then you know, then it'll go away. But all these things affect you physically. And then Lord knows we've all had strange feelings and wondered, well, do I have COVID? You know, we might have a cough or feel funny one day. Oh my God, I have COVID. So all that takes a toll on you. That's the psychological toll that I'm talking about because we've never in, in at least in our lifetime experienced anything like this. Um and it, it, there's a fear factor, too, because you're right. Even if you have to go out, you don't know if going out is exposing you. And so it's this constant fear of what if, what up, what if, what if. And so um, I, I think the disorientation is real. Being it, It's unnatural, first of all. And so um, it, when you talked about, like, being at home, uh, the relationship piece is, is but hearing people say that they're what's called COVID weight. So you're sitting at home, you're not going out, you're not really doing anything, and you're gaining pounds. Well, that's going to contribute to the health factor. So that's what I'm saying. This thing is going to go on. Uh, the impact is going to go on for, for you know, years to come. So you, you're sitting there, you're angry, you're eating, <laughs> you lash it out at people. That can't be a healthy environment that's being created in our home. So Right. I, I think this, we want it to be over, but it's not going to be over. And uh, soon, um, just because the way that we started out, uh, it's just going to, and I've, I predicted that it's going to go for the most of 2021. So what that means for us is buckling down, getting, getting your head right that, you know, whatever you got to do to survive and to find some joy. So this is just not surviving. We got to find some joy in this in this thing because otherwise, the psychological toll is going to be much greater. So, um, so we're tired of zooms. We're, I mean, we're just tired of all of it. We want to go out. We want to dance. We want to go to the movies. We want to go to go out to eat. That stuff is has been a damper put on there. And so, what do we need to do? And some people are finding, you know, some some light at the end of the tunnel because they've tried to create spaces, even in their homes, that's gonna be uh, affirming and nurturing. So so you talked about people who hadn't normally been together, but some people are using that space to really begin to learn who their children are, <laughs> what, what their likes and dislikes are, what their strengths are, and they had never had that opportunity before because as you said, everybody's in transit. We just move and move and move and move and, and you uh, have glimpses of your kids as they come in and go on. Do you really know them? And some of this means you, you really getting to know who's in the house with you. Yeah, yeah, that's real. Um, 
back to the death toll disproportionate of African-Americans. And, you know, you mentioned you know, making the case for murder. Dr. Um, Brittany Cooper has popularized the term. She's the originator of the term, but she's been talking more and more about the term I had her on the show. Uh, necropolitics, uh, the politics of who lives and who dies. And you can't help but wonder uh, with the way this thing has gone down, whether Trump and his and the governors who are his minions figured, well, you know, some people are going to die. Um, some white folks are even going to die. But it's going to disproportionately affect African-Americans who don't vote for us. You, you, you have to kind of wonder if that wasn't in the calculus, don't you? I definitely have heard that being talked about because, in, for example, in St. Louis, the first 12 people who died of COVID were, were black. The first one who died was a black woman. So it was clear to us very early on that we were going to be the victims of this and we better do something quick. So we in St. Louis and probably again other places began to pull together folks, healthcare professionals, community people to say, okay, Forget about the health department. They don't have a clue. Those of us who are close to these communities know what we need to do. And part, it is like a, 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 a really a campaign. You got to get go in there and not just throw up some billboards or flash some stuff on TV. You got to go talk to people. So we had teams of people going into communities, especially the more vulnerable communities, to really talk about you know COVID and what it was going to mean. Uh, but meanwhile, our our toll uh, death toll was going up. Um, but I think it's, it's, it's stabilized some as much as it can, but of course we were disproportionately represented in nursing homes and in prisons and jails. And so, uh, we couldn't get to either one of those populations in ways that we, we wanted to. So, you know, I remember, uh, some months ago, we really had to do a campaign to get testing done in the city and county jails. Uh, it was, it was going to be harder to do that in the prisons just because you got to go travel to those rural areas. But, you know, you got the jails right here. Why come we can't be testing them? And there were there were health entities that said we would do it for free. Uh, but for whatever reason, um, the, the officials didn't let it happen. So we had to put pressure on them for that. Uh, so it's it's just been like a fight every step of the way to get what we need. And, I, you know, that part is 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 fatiguing as well. Uh, I remember uh, when we were we did the uh, stay at home for work, and uh, I told staff, I said, let's let's make a list of the things that we didn't get a chance to do because we've been so busy. Now we're going to have all this time. I, I don't. I underestimated it because <laughs> there was no time. Because <laughs> then the fight was making sure that we resources to testing, and uh, it it was not a minute to spare. It was no extra time. So um, and, and see, even now, Mark, people think that, OK, if you have it, if you get it and you survive, that's a good thing. But now we're hearing about the long haulers syndrome. This stuff doesn't go away. And yeah. so what is going to be the, the psychological and, and financial toll of having this COVID be with us for 10, 20, 30 years? Uh, so it's it's uh, it's more than the notion to even wrap your head around it. Yeah, you know, it, it is. And so now, obviously, and you address this in your article as well. The million dollar question um, is whether or not African-Americans should take this vaccine. So I'm gonna put you on the spot. Where are you, Jamala? Are you and your family? What are you and your family members thinking? Are you all going to do this? 
I personally am having to wait and see what the the the, the vaccine actually does. Uh, and at the time that I wrote the article, I had said, I don't know anybody that I'm coming in contact with that says they're going to take it. But since then, I came across one young black man who said he's going to take it because he doesn't see the harm that it's going to do. And he understands about the history of our people with the with the medical uh, industrial complex. Um, his thing was like, I got to be safe for my family and, and my community. And I get that. Um, and so I think as it rolls out and people see what's happening and see who's taking it, that it might change. But um, at this point, I think the it was 40% of black people who said that they would take it. That's not enough because all the experts say you got to at least have 70% of the population, all right. the population taking it in order to make everybody safe. And so, <clears throat> so the way that it was fast tracked uh, is of concern because we know when these uh, the pharmaceuticals do their thing. They cut corners. They, they're trying to make money. They're willing to do whatever they can to get it on the market and deal with the consequences later. So I'm, I'm not that comfortable. Um, and I know that people like me and you have to have a view on it and at some point may even have to support the, um, the vaccine and maybe even take it. I had to really do that even with the testing. You know, uh, I, I did a, a press conference where I actually, you know, got the testing done so I, people could see that, okay, Jamal is taking it. She's still alive, <laughs> you know, and, and we need to do that. So I know that there's a lot of pressure on me to figure out what my view is going to be in the next few weeks. Um, but right now I'm very skeptical, Mark, very skeptical. Yeah. And because uh, I know they didn't do the cl clinical trials. And this is the thing I was telling this young man. He said, well, they actually have, have given the vaccine to many more people than they would uh, normally. I said, yeah, the reason the trials last so long is because you got to study the impact of that vaccination over time. And yeah. so that's not been done. So that part of it, we, we've been cut off from. We don't know. So it's going to be whoever. I know they did the, the sister in New York who was an ICU worker, uh, got hers uh, first up in New York. Uh, so, you know, maybe we'll look and see what her, you know, what happens to her and, and, and other people that are taking it to make sure that it's safe. Um, and I know you, our three ex-presidents said that they would take it, um, you know, publicly to uh, alleviate people's fears. But I think, you know, it's it's not an unfounded fear, Mark, and you, you know this. This, is, this stuff is not unfounded. We don't have a good relationship with the medical industrial complex. And our history has been wrought with, um, you know, samples of it, not even just the, the Tuskegee experience, which is probably the one that looms over us more than most. But there's other stuff, even modern day, of how we are not getting the health care that we need, even though we have insurance, even though we have all of the things that our white counterparts have, and we still don't get it. And that's why that health disparity racially is still a gulf. And why is that in 2020? I mean, yeah, 2020. So uh, so we got some hurdles that got exacerbated through COVID that were already there and uh, they're proven to be uh, lethal. So I think we need to, again, start looking at where the policies are, where where we need to have some, some pressure put. And I think that stimulus package is one of them. And, uh, you know, looking at how this vaccine is rolling out who gets it? How? What? What is it doing? So, for example, Mark, what if something happens that we start to see some negativity with that vaccine, mm -hmm. like month, because there'll be some people taking it? 
what what then? Are they going to halt that and then go back to the? So it, it's I you know I'm I'm in a wait and see um, because I just don't trust the system. Yeah, yeah. No, um, um, as another guest of mine said, that's a rational apprehension as an African American. Absolutely. And I've been saying this. I've had white folks say, though, honestly, Jamala said to me that they think, too, it was developed too quickly. Um, So they even some white folks that ain't running because you're right. Normally it takes a little more time. So people just don't know. Now, here's where our uh, disparity may put us at an advantage because we're African-Americans. They're not going to give it to us. All of us first, probably some of us are going to get it later. So I think that gives us a window to be observant. But we weren't included. Hardly any African-Americans were included in clinical trials. And and the reason for these clinical trials is not only to see how, you know, it it impacts uh, people, but how it impacts different cultures. And that didn't have anything to do with the color of skin. It has to do with lifestyle. It has to do um, with uh, 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 the environment because environment affects your health, diet, all of that. And and there are things that impact us in a certain way that impact others differently. There's, it's stressful just to be black. That is a health issue. And so there's no clinical trial uh, to see. Having said that, I'm like you. I'm not saying that people don't take it. I'm saying that I think we all just need to be observant and be diligent in seeking information, seeing, you know, how it's affecting others, reading up on it. Um, um, but also, I think at the end of the day, the decision, if we don't have to make the decision today, if we have a, a few more days or a few more weeks or whatever before it even gets to us, to me, Jamal, a decision boils down to a choice between whether or not the vaccine, in our view, is going to be more harmful than the COVID itself. Uh, And so I think that's what we're going to have to put on the scale. If we take a political political point of view, um, you know, you almost, you can do that too, because you might say, well, Trump didn't want us to have the vaccine. So if he didn't want us to have it, it must be good for us. We might want to take it. (laughs) So I don't know. I think those are all the things you have to, you have to count away, don't you? Yeah. But it's almost unfortunate, like a crapshoot. Yeah. We, we should be able to go into this fully competent of what we're getting and the the compassion behind it. In other words, it wasn't made just for the sake of profit. Like there was a genuine concern that this pandemic is, is, is affecting millions of our people. And in that spirit, we have to be, uh, have to, uh, apply some due diligence to the way that we created it and the way that we distribute it. And I just, that part of it is just so many gaps in there. And so uh, I agree that, you know, we, we it's going to be wait and see, and there's going to be, I'm sure, uh, folks in the healthcare system who are going to uh, sound, sound alarms when it looks like this thing is not working as it should. So if, if that doesn't happen, then I think people will become more and more confident that it's it's okay to take. But unfortunately, it's like you said, COVID or the vaccine. That that's a hell of a choice. Like it is. It's, it is. It's, like I said, it's a crapshoot. 
So, um, so yeah, right. but that's that's where we are in a country that's supposed to be the most intelligent, most powerful, most whatever. Uh, that we we are one big hot spot now because of the lack of leadership. And you know, too, Jamal. Now that I think about it, even the vaccine itself is two shots. Now, one black physician who tweeted about her experience in a clinical trial said that, um, of course, they don't tell you in a clinical trial whether you're on a placebo or the shot or the real vaccine. Right. But she, but it's two shots. The second shot she's convinced must have been the vaccine because she got sick. And she had flu-like symptoms for a couple of days, like a lot of people have when they take the flu shot. Um, right. So uh, um, the thing is, like, even the, the ICU nurse here in New York that they jabbed and other people who've been jabbed first, we really won't know what's going to happen to them until the second shot. And And frankly, at the moment, I don't know how soon after you get the second shot. I don't know how quickly that comes or whether it's a few weeks or a few days or whatever. So even the people we're seeing getting shots now, we're still not seeing an an, uh, an accurate response because they've got to take it a second time. But here, here's the thing, though, Mark. That's only one of the vaccines. One of them is a two-shotter. The other one is a one-shot. We don't know who gets who, what. And, and uh, if you understand uh, our people, uh, sometimes when you got a two-shot like that, they they may go ahead and do the first shot, but then it's lots of things that happen in between that next shot. And so right, if you right. don't take the two of them, the first one is ineffective. So, yeah, um, yeah so it's like, okay, you, we always between a rock and a hard place, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and this this did not have to happen this way. Absolutely not. Absolutely this, not. If there had been leadership, uh, both without of our community and and to some degree within, because let's be honest, um, a lot of our folk, even some leaders in our community. I, I mean, how many um, black churches and black pastors have lost members and pastors? Because uh, we we gonna have service. The Lord is gonna protect us. We just gonna have service, and and so right. those, those people lost their lives. Um, so we just have to be more diligent and, and Jamal is right. Y'all don't kill everybody in your house. Be disciplined. Um, this is not over. Um, I think people did okay. Thanksgiving. Most people I know had the wisdom to just stay still on Thanksgiving, but others of us, we need to be very, very careful. Um, we need to just, just stay in, um, and, and protect our love. How disciplined we were at, uh, at Thanksgiving. I mean, we usually use it as a time for all of us to get together around Big Mama and all of that. But it it was just me and my mom uh, and everybody else. We said, stay at your own house. <laughs> we'll do some Zooms or FaceTimes. But, right. I, you know, I really appreciated that because and I and I heard that other families were doing that as well. So it's 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 a short term sacrifice for a long term situation. And so. I think, you know, the more education our people get, the, 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 you know, when you know better, you do better. That's that's what I believe. Amen. She's Jamala Rogers. She's our black commentator, blackcommentator.com. Her piece responding to COVID fatigue. And you can find her blackcommentator.com regularly. She's a been a, a serious and longtime organizer and activist 
in the city of St. Louis. Hold it before we go. Time out. We have not talked since that DA that was elected um, decided not to bring charges. The brother. Um, I know people in, are upset about that in the, in the Ferguson situation, aren't they? Well, I think, yeah, most people were upset. But, I, you know, one of the things that uh, we know, folks, and I say this from us that have been uh, fighting the the criminal justice system and particularly the courts, this is what folks don't know. And this is what we've, we've tried to use that situation to highlight how the police associations have been able to raise the bar about how prosecutions happen with, um, with police officers. So for us, you know, the, the bar was, was it's pretty high, but then if you don't have, you know, compelling evidence, which we, particularly in the, in the Mike Brown case, we had a person that was a witness who, who changed his testimony several times. And so you didn't have a whole lot to go on. I know that we were very emotional about it. And, um, but I also know that, uh, you know, when we start talking about uh, prosecuting the police, they've already been ahead of us, Mark, to put things in place. We even heard this from uh, Eric uh, uh, Holder when he came during Ferguson. He said the bar is going to be high, but I'm going. We're going to investigate, and we'll be able to give you all some data, some information, some real stuff that you all couldn't have gotten on your own. And so we've been able to use that, you know, since since the killing of Mike Brown. But here's the other thing that we've been doing here, uh, Mark is. We're looking at those bargaining agreements between the police and, and our city. Because, again, see, sometimes protesters are saying, you know, do this, do this, Mr. Mayor, Miss Mayor. And they don't understand that there's a contract that's binding that the, that the city get out of. So rather than be reactive, let's see what's in there and let's start to, to break down some of those pieces that are protecting uh, rogue police officers. And so we made some recommendations and put those through. We did it. We did it in concert with the uh, Black Police Officers Association because they basically had been locked out of these bargaining agreements. And so I'm saying we got to get more sophisticated. You know, the protest puts the pressure on them, but then we got to go into the weeds and see what is it that we can have some impact on? What do we need to, what reforms can we uh, change so that at the end result is more justice for our community? And um, <clears throat> the other thing we just talked about yesterday with a group is, you know, uh, OBS has the Black Jurors Matter campaign. We've been doing it for a couple of years. Well, there's not been many courts open during COVID. So we think this is a good time to to really push Black Jurors Matter, Matter because one of the things we're finding out is people don't really understand when they say, I, I got, a, I got a, a problem, I need to get out of here, uh, I can't serve on the jury, what that leaves and so sometimes even when there is an indictment of a police officer, you don't have a, a conviction because the jury then buys into that split second thing. What if, you know, what if you were in his shoes or her shoes? And right. Having a black people on that jury is critical. So it's all these layers, Mark, that we've been trying to educate people. Yes, it was frustrating not to, to get that. But, but I can tell you a number of cases where we went south instead of west because all of our people like opted out. Well, I got an issue with the police officer. 
No, we want to be truthful, but we want to still be able to say, but I can be fair and impartial about this case. So we, there's some responsibility that we need to have in terms of guaranteeing an outcome. And we need to start looking at those bargaining agreements. We need to start looking at some of the laws that are protecting them and break down some of these protections that police officers automatically have. I maintain that they need to be named in these lawsuits. As long as it's coming out of the public coffer, there's no uh, there's no uh, real pressure on them. But if they were part of the lawsuit individually, yeah, especially ones who have uh, been been road cops for a while, I, I right. think you see a whole change, a sea change in the way that they uh, approach our communities. Yeah, no, if they weren't indemnified, they wouldn't be shooting nobody. Trust, they'd be like, hold it. You know, even at times when they thought it was justified, right. so I ain't shooting nobody because it's coming out of me and my family's pocket. Right. So, no, you're right about that. Exactly. Right about that. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Black commentators. So there's there's are, some some ways that we can have an impact, and we need to look at all of this. Yeah. No, you're right. I agree. I agree. Jamala, we thank you, Jamala Rogers, folks. Black commentators. Jamala Rogers, blackcommentator.com, responding to COVID fatigue. Uh, we should heed some of Jamala Rogers' advice. Jamala, always, we thank you. Okay. Thank you. Thank you, Mark. Be safe out there. Thanks for getting woke and listening to Make It Plain. Please remember to listen, like, subscribe, and wherever you get your podcasts, please give the show a five-star rating. And please do spread the word. Let's all continue to pray for each other during this pandemic and this police-demic. If all hearts and minds are clear, it has been made plain. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line prop or parlay bets with the king of sports books today sign up using code buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet bet mgm and GameSense remind you to play responsibly 21 plus and present in ohio subject to eligibility requirements rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days gambling problem call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with mgm northfield park For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Grainger.com, or just stop by. Granger, For the ones who get it done.